This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Her fashion was very much a part of her activism, you know, and I, I don't think people know that is that it was offensive at that time for her to be a black woman wearing a fur coat, wearing diamond earrings. So, you know, it was a part of that that was just fun and just enjoyable and dropped me into her character. And then it was a part of that was almost like armor. That's her fight. Hello and welcome to the Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm David Canfield, EW's Movies Editor, joined as always by my co-host Clarissa Cruz, EW's Executive Editor. Hello, Clarissa. Hello, David. We are up early to discuss last night's very weird, potentially revealing virtual Golden Globes. From the many surprise wins to the few that only cemented this season's Oscar frontrunners. To break down all the shock and awe and to sift through what it all means for the Oscars, we welcome back our awards expert, Joey Nolfi. Hello, Joey. Hello to both of you. I'm looking forward to another day of speaking justice to the things that matter, like the absence of Penguin Bloom Oh no! I, Golden Globes. I left that out of this week's <laughs> outline. Crap. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> and later, uh, a special and uh, timely guest, Andra Day, joins me on the show, fresh off her shocking, very exciting Golden Globe triumph. Uh, to discuss her brilliant performance in the United States versus Billie Holiday. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Um, and let's start there. Uh, guys, Andrew Day for Best Actress, anyone? Oof. I mean, well, Andra definitely built goodwill with industry voters right before nominations voting. I think she gets a huge visibility boost here. I'm not convinced that she has overtaken Carrie Mulligan just yet. I think she definitely is at number two. She definitely vaults over Francis. I mean, Francis, I don't think, is winning anything. Um, so I think she goes from like peripheral contender to legitimate threat. But I still think measuring anything with the Globes outside of the lens of she gets a visibility boost with a really emotional acceptance speech is misguided, shall we say, <laughs> just because the Globes is such a vacuum of voters that have absolutely nothing to do with Hollywood in any way. There. That's, that's so interesting. I I, I wonder, and, and I, this just came out, so I actually haven't seen it. Um, but you saw it, right, David? You saw Andra's uh, performance. Um, I mean, tell us what you think voters responded to in it. I, I know there was so much preparation um, that went into her turning into Billie Holiday, and I'm sure she talks about this in, in your interview. But um, can you tell us maybe what resonated here? Sure. She, she goes uh, way into it, uh, into our conversation and including lots of prep that you might not expect. Um, but I, you know, when I first saw this movie, I think it was a couple months. Oh no, you know what? It was, it was right around new year's day, um, right after Hulu acquired it. And I think I told Joey when I saw it, um, I, I think she can win. And of course, I think I'd said that to you as well. Um, it was just sort of a gut reaction. I agree with Joey. I'm not predicting her to win the eventual Oscar right now. Um, but it is a performance that you just respond really strongly to. It's, it's not only this really complete transformation, but she really finds the human uh, within the icon. She's just so, you know, heartbreaking and sweet in, in the quieter moments as well, which which is always a good sign of how well someone has has become uh, a legend on screen. And I think she she more than achieved that. And the HFPA nominating her when she wasn't quite, you know, in that front runner circle. Um, it was a sign that they really were supportive of the performance. 
Um, we did not predict her to win. It is it is a shock, um, but I, I definitely think it's a signal that people are responding to it. And we've heard uh, the Academy, uh, people who have seen it are, are really behind the performance. The movie itself, people are not huge fans of, but it's hard to deny how good she is in this one. Um, would you agree, Joey? Yes. Um, I think that it's just, it really, like how naturally and raw she took to this performance is, I think it, it, it was a benefit to her for this to sort of be her first movie role because it feels like she is so untainted by, um, you know, the expectations of an actress. She just kind of did her own take on this and it yeah. feels very natural, very just lived in. Um, so... I think it's just a really raw, gritty performance. And I think that people are really responding to that. Um, so, yeah, I think that she is definitely a legitimate threat right now, but um, not quite ready to predict her to overtake Carrie just yet. Because I think Carrie has the narrative of the themes of the film pushing her as well. Whereas Andra, mm -hmm. I don't think, has that with this movie because the movie itself has not been so well received. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. It's going to be an interesting race for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. What, what what were some of the other surprises? I mean, uh, I mean, I'm top of mind. I'm thinking uh, Jodie Foster and Rosamund Pike. Um, both of those just just really surprised me as I was watching because they have. I mean, we we haven't really been talking much about them at all. But uh, can can we can we chat now? Well. I actually am starting to subscribe to the notion that Rosamund Pike could sneak in and steal Vanessa Kirby's spot. I mean, we've been, David and I have been wavering on Vanessa for a few weeks now. Like, do we keep her in? Do we take her out? And I just feel like I Care A Lot came in very strong. It's one of those movies made for this award season being in the digital era. It succeeded really swiftly and intensely through the digital discourse and went number one on Netflix the day it came out. And I think in an unprecedented race, where there is no standard, you have to look at where and what people are talking about in the moment. The moment matters so much more now than it did in, in years past. And I care a lot in Rosamond. It has the momentum right now to knock off a contender who's sort of waning. But comedy actress statistically has a very little crossover with the Oscars. So there's that too. But in an unprecedented year, I think you have to go with where the electricity is in the moment. And just like we saw with Andrew Day, uh, I think the electricity is with Rosamond right now, especially after last night. So I would not be surprised if she shows up um, in the fifth nomination slot. Yeah, it's interesting because you have, you had, I think what many considered a pretty solid four in Best Actress, you had Viola Davis, Frances McDormand, Carrie Mulligan, and Vanessa Kirby. And Vanessa Kirby, you know, once Ellen Burstyn, who was considered to be a pretty significant contender and supporting actress, started not showing up on major supporting actress lists like the Golden Globes, it became clear that Vanessa would probably be the only nominee for Pieces of a Woman, um, which is, you know, a pretty difficult, tough movie. Um, that Netflix acquired, they acquired it for the awards push for Vanessa. It wasn't, you know, a hit by any means. Um, reviews for the movie were pretty mixed outside of Vanessa's performance. And those are the kinds of performances that really get that early heat, but whose movies just don't stick around that you really have to look out for that could fall off. I always think of, you know, Timothy Chalamet and Beautiful Boy a couple of years ago, given how great he was in that movie, he showed up everywhere the movie did not hit otherwise, and he eventually fell off. And I think Joey makes a really interesting point, which is that Rosamund Pike in I Care A Lot is a Netflix movie. It is a new contender. Uh, it was a huge hit. I think that's why she won. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it, it hit on Netflix 
the last weekend of Globes voting. So it was just such perfect timing yep. for her to really surge there. Um, I'm a little more skeptical that she can break through, but I think it opens that fifth slot up in an interesting mm-hmm. conversation. I think Andrea is that number four now. Yeah. And I think people are going to be perhaps surprised, including us, by, by who takes up that slot. There's a lot of actresses we've talked about sort of fleetingly uh, on the show, and, and I, I don't know if any of them would pop up there. I don't know if it would be Vanessa or Rosman, but um, it, it's one where I'm almost expecting to be surprised now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not quite ready to, I, I, don't, I don't want, I'm not ready to put Rosman in at number five yet, um, but I think the pathway is there, and I think with this race more than any other race, that people, especially Academy voters, who don't watch half of these things anyway in a normal year are going to be looking to things like the Globes to tell them what to vote for and what to look out for. And when you have social media, the internet, sort of swarming around something like I Care A Lot, bolstering the conversation in that way, plus the Golden Globes bolstering the conversation in that way, that is like serving this performance up on a platter to the Academy right before nominations voting. So that's where I think my my thought is with this. Right. I mean, I, I, it's, it's so interesting how s- streaming is, or is affecting this race. And I think it's, it's, uh, some more so, I mean, I'm just remembering last year with Netflix, uh, what the, what the vibe was at the Globes. I mean, David, you remember going to that party at the, <laughs> after, after the show and it was, it was pretty, pretty subdued and empty. And I'm, and this year Netflix was just such a force and, um, and I, and, I think it just speaks to the different way that people are receiving their content now and how, and it's definitely affecting the race. Um, and speaking of Netflix, um, the other surprise was Jodie Foster in the supporting actress race. But of course, I know all Joey wants to talk about is how this affects Glenn. So um, <laughs> let, let's unpack that. Let's talk about um, Glenn in Hillbilly Elegy and, and where she stands uh, considering the, the Globe's result. Well, I mean, she'll always stand at number one in my heart. Um, with that kitten t-shirt. Uh, I, st- I, you know, it's funny because as intensely as I was obsessed with Mama um, going into this race, my obsession now has sort of turned to Maria Bagalova. Um, I still think Maria is out front. I mean, she went lead at the Globes, which is probably why she didn't win. Um, I was predicting her to win, but I, I think that not winning here is not going to hurt her. Uh you know, she's still going supporting at the Oscars and she ha- but she hasn't actually challenged any of those contenders in any races yet. So if she loses SAG, then I will be worried. But for now, I'm still on her. I mean, the industry has her top of mind. She got a shout out in Rosamund Pike's speech and in Sasha Baron Cohen's speech. So the people sure. actually mm-hmm. in the industry are thinking about her performance in a yeah. really big way. So I think that she has actually overtaken Glenn here. Um, I don't know if Glenn ever, I think Glenn was probably the front runner in a lot of our like wishful thinking minds before any of the pieces started falling into place um, in the season. So I don't know. I think Glenn probably knows that she was never out front. The industry knows Glenn was probably never out front. It'll be a a, a nomination and and done for Glenn, I think, this year. I don't know. I I honestly have no idea what is going on in this category. Yeah. (laughs) I really don't. I, I think whoever SAG picks becomes the front runner just because they're, you know, if Amanda Seyfried won last night, that could have been a kind of a Regina King situation for if Beale Street could talk a couple of years ago where Regina was snubbed by snag. She won the globe and she was able to use that momentum to go all the way. Amanda did not win. She's not nominated at SAG. 
Um, nobody has any momentum because Maria did not win the Golden Globes. So I really think whoever wins there gets that sort of default positioning. Mm-hmm. I still think Glenn Close has a shot. I, I think it would be. She does. <laughs> I think it would be quite fitting if you know she won that globe for the wife a couple years ago it was a big shock she's seated at the back of the room she she takes a half hour to get to the stage it is this <laughs> most beautiful speech and everyone says how can she not go all the way and she doesn't and it would in this case i don't think many were expecting her to win the globe we didn't predict her to um no. and I, don't, I didn't really see really anybody predicting her to um but i i think that there is a clearly sag was Behind Hillbilly Elegy, they also nominated Amy Adams. So if Glenn wins there, um, which I personally would probably predict at this point, um, we'll see. Jo- Joey's shaking his head. No, 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 no. I think when, when you look at Glenn's trajectory for the wife, the reason that Glenn did not win at the Oscars is because, I mean, I can't tell you how many of the uh, secret ballots that I did where people were like, I'm not voting for Glenn just because Glenn needs an Oscar. I remember that. Um, the performance is great, but the film built around it is the reason why I'm not voting for her. And Hillbilly Elegy was trashed. And <laughs> right. um, I don't think, not trash, I don't think it's trash. It was trashed, <laughs> like, past, by others. But, yes. yes, by yes. others. Um, more so than the wife was. So I think that hurts her. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that SAG voters are going to vote for Glenn to win because what you have to remember that SAG is the nominating committee is much smaller than the actual voting base who votes on the final award. And I think when you open SAG voting up to the broad membership of SAG, which is thousands and thousands and thousands of people, you're getting the, the a more general or basic taste. Um, and I don't mean basic in a negative sense. I just mean a more base baseline sort of taste. And I think that Maria's performance appeals to more of those baseline voters than... Glenn's because that movie was probably seen more than Hillbilly Elegy. I think it's a much easier performance to sort of get behind and it's a much more physical performance. It's a much more engaging performance in that there's a lot more going on physically. And I think general actors are more prone to voting for something like Maria in a comedic role than Glenn in a supporting role in a film that was not really received that well and also has the stigma of being associated with a conservative political movement. So yeah, that's true. I don't think SAG is going to go for Glenn. I really don't. All right. Well, right, we'll see. Right. Yeah. Well, let, let's move on to the actors. Um, I think in the best actor and best supporting actor categories, we weren't very surprised. Um, Chadwick Boseman won for best actor drama and Daniel Kaluuya won for supporting actor. Um, what do you all think about, about that and what it means for the race? Um, I, I think Chadwick Boseman is just so assured uh, to win that category now, um, his his surviving wife just gave such an incredible speech, just paying beautiful tribute to him, and yeah. and and also I think capturing the pain of his loss, um, and just also a graceful speech, you know, recognizing his collaborators in the film. Uh, it was just, and even just that ending where she said, "Keep him coming." It was like, who wouldn't <laughs> take yeah. that right. message to heart? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that sealed the deal. Um, and Daniel Kaluuya, you know, we've been talking about supporting actor as a kind of three-horse race where it wasn't quite clear who was out front. Uh, I've always been pretty high on Daniel just because I think when you watch Judas, particularly his speech in that film, he, he's the guy in this category who has that moment. Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of Chicago 7 does not have that moment. 
I think Leslie Jordan Odom Jr. kind of has that moment um, in One Night in Miami, and he's great in it, but it, it doesn't quite match up to that that Oscar bait. I mean, to be to be candid about it, it just really is the kind of performance that wins an Oscar. Um, and I, I, I think I wouldn't put, say, Daniel's a lock, unlike Chadwick, but I would say he's pretty comfortably out front. Right. Um, you know, one one thing, I mean, that that was brewing, I mean, before the show, there was a lot of controversy around um, around the lack of black representation in in the nominations and mm-hmm. uh, and also a focus on on the not the non representation in the Hollywood foreign press as well. And I mean, the cynical side of me when I was watching some of these win- some of these wins, I and, I and you guys probably know more about the voting window and whether they were trying to correct some of these things um, in in the winners that they chose because it just seemed it it it, it just seemed sort of convenient in a way. Um, but am, am I being cynical, or do you think do you think that had anything to do with um, with with how some of the winners played out? Um, I don't think the voting window, the bulk of the voting window, crossed over with when that controversy was really breaking. So I don't think so. Technically, I don't think it crossed over, but I mean, part of that expose was talking about how the Golden Globes sort of skirt their own rules for a lot of things. So I would not be surprised, Um, but it's a possibility. But I I don't I I found myself think maybe thinking the same thing last night, actually. But uh, yeah, technically, I don't think it actually crossed over. Uh, Honestly, I, I didn't I didn't feel like it did. I mean, we predicted Chadwick and Daniel. Um, mm-hmm. Firstly, mm-hmm. and Andrew Day, that win to me, like that is a performance that the HFPA would be like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Like it, that, mm-hmm. that didn't right. feel out of character to me at all. Um, and I honestly I think, think so, if Daniel yeah. didn't win, it probably would have been um, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. anyway, because yeah. I, I don't think right. they were as high on Trial Chicago Seven as as people thought, um, and I don't think they would double up on Sasha. So, so I, I don't really think that anything changed. Um, oddly, and we, we can get into this now. I, I weirdly think Nomadland may have been played more of a factor there in terms of them picking the the cooler, more respected choice. Um, mm-hmm. Chloe Zhao winning Best Director, really affirming her hold on yep. that category. Um, I think the Globes, the bad headlines would have come if they gave it to a Trial Chicago Seven or even a Mank <laughs> going more right. you know, <laughs> retro, but they they didn't. They they stayed retro. the course. <laughs> in terms of recognizing the movie that people are excited about. And that, yeah. to me, felt like the more pointed, perhaps um, politically motivated choice that they made. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I mean, lo- looking ahead, um, wh- I mean, I, I was surprised a lot last night by some of these winners. It made it actually a little bit more interesting and exciting to me. But what mm-hmm. what are you all seeing um, looking ahead as a happening? I mean, with the SAG Awards, um, with Trial of Chicago 7, with Minari. I mean, all of these things are got some boost last night. And uh, let me know what you think. Well, I think that um, first and foremost, we have to be on the lookout for digital crisis manager Laura Dern stepping in at the Oscars <laughs> in case anything digital goes haywire. We have digital crisis manager Laura Dern there to keep us back on track. Um, now, Minari, I think, benefited uh, in the sense that it was absent from a lot of things. I mean, winning Best Foreign Language Film, the only thing that I saw on Twitter last night was people being like, Minari is an American film. So, uh, you know, we should stop calling it foreign, even though technically foreign language is how the Globes classified it. Uh, so I think it benefited in that sense is that the reaction is going to be support Minari like the Globes didn't. 
so yeah, I think definitely there is where we will see Minari getting a boost. And at SAG, because I think David and I are both expecting um, Yoon to, Yoon Yujung to win, mm-hmm. to maybe win Supporting maybe. Actress. So yes, we'll definitely see a big, and maybe even Steven. Steven too could, even though we've been saying this whole season that he is in the wrong category, I think that he uh, could come out in Best, best Actor. Um, I'm waiting for a Nomadland Challenger. I don't think we've seen one yet. Um, maybe the trial of the Chicago 7 was going to pop up here. It did not. Um, we had talked about Mank months ago. It, it's, I think it's fallen off from that perch. Um, and Minari is sort of there, and it's an interesting place where it's not the kind of movie you would maybe expect to get an ensemble nomination at SAG in the way that perhaps we said about Parasite last year. So... If it can pull off one or two wins there, uh, it's a threat. And there may be a movie we're not even thinking about um, that gets some significant late-breaking industry support. Um, but right now... Penguin Bloom. <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's the movie none of us are looking at, and there it is. I just think that we are... We're wa- I'm waiting to say, okay, this could beat Nomadland, because there's just no evidence that anyone uh, can do that right now. Um, but I think we'll have to wait and see. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Golden Globe winner Andrew Day speaks about her role in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Stream limited series Apples Never Fall, starring Annette Bening and Sam Neill, and The Tattooist of Auschwitz, based on the best-selling novel. Plus, TV movie Mr. Monk's Last Case and the stop-motion animated In the Know from Mike Judge, Brandon Gardner, and Zach Woods. Finally, head to the Highlands with Alan Cumming in the hit competition series The Trade. Peacock is your consideration destination this Emmy season. Welcome back. Here's our interview with Andrew Day, done right before the Golden Globes, but I hope you enjoy nonetheless. Andra, hello. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Very excited about today. (laughs) Uh, I am very excited as well. This film moved me deeply in your performance just pretty much knocked me out. I was really blown away by it. And um, I have seen some Billie Holiday portrayals uh, and then there are obviously some previous films. This one felt really unique mm, yeah. um, and, and brought a side to her that I hadn't seen before on screen, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And I, I think what I love about it is that it brought a truth about her life that I think just society didn't know, period. You know, and I think that mm-hmm. was really exciting for me telling the story and as a fan of hers that it would be vindicating her legacy you know that was that was something i was really looking forward to you had tweeted when the trailer came out that this film changed you and i was wondering if we could start there and and (laughs) what about this experience um really did have such an effect on you um it did change me and it was um it was a really just like paradigm shifting moment for me or just sort of ushering in a new season i guess of my life a new season of me essentially you know and and I'm a very a deeply spiritual person, so I've just sort of been praying a lot about, you know, how to come out of her and how to come out of this experience, and um, and which I, I feel like I am as of late, even though, you know now that we're we finished filming December 9th, two thousand nineteen. So now 
you know, a little over a year later, I, I feel like I am, but yeah, there's a little bit of a not knowing who I am necessarily in this season, just because I was partly because I was in her for such a long time. It's been about three years of, of, of her, you know, so I don't think anyone would be the same after three years, but I think when person you're playing is so big and their impact is so important and and their legacy was truly suppressed you know and I, I think mm. such so much in her life so much victory and so much trauma at the same time you know you're changed at a, a more rapid kind of dramatic pace you know <laughs> so yeah. um, I don't know to be honest with you I'm still finding out who I am in this time but um yeah I'm right now I'm there's still her residual Billy, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> around, I don't know, my family's telling me. So yeah, I'm definitely altered, but in a good way. There's a lot of freedom in me. Um, I think that I, and a stronger faith foundation for me that I don't think that I had as much of before playing her. So that process of taking on someone so big, as you say, how do you, how do you even begin there? What, what did that decision look like for you to say, yeah, I think I can do this? That decision at first was a hell no for me. I was like, <laughs> no, I exercised my Fifth Amendment right. I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I was like, this is a terrible idea. But, um, and you know, interestingly enough, Lee thought the same thing. He's like, she's a singer. We're not doing this. This is terrible. <laughs> so like, we were kind of like forced upon each other by our managers who were like, you should look at this script. And his manager, you should look at her. So we sort of sat in the first meeting, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> Why are we here? I don't think we're going to be good. I don't think I'm going to be good. This is not. So, um, right. but we just connected. We connected over her. We connected over our, even our own insecurities. You know, we just connected on life. And and I enjoyed him and I enjoyed his need to tell the truth. Because that was a huge thing for me was that, you know, Diana Ross was phenomenal in Lady Sings the Blues. I don't have a desire to redo Lady Sings the Blues. I don't. And as a fan of Billie Holiday's, I understood that that movie we needed so badly as a people, though it wasn't the full accurate picture of Billie Holiday's life or the government, because the fact that they even told the story back then was amazing, because everyone who went after her and ultimately were responsible for her death, um, regardless of the, 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 the drug abuse, uh, they were still alive and they were still in power. <laughs> we forget about that part, you know what I mean? And even her her ex-husband, Louis C.K., who was a technical director on the film, was was alive and you know so that was yeah you know it wasn't only so much we could do so I didn't want to remake that because I thought that was just a work of art but when I found out that it would be talking about how Harry J. Ansling or J. Edgar Hoover the FBN and the FBI how they all came down on her and went after her under the guise of a war on drugs but really it was because she was singing Strange Fruit she was talking about racial terror in America when I found that out that was more motivating for me and then also from a spiritual perspective, as I said, I'm deeply spiritual. I had a peace, even though I was like, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I had a real peace about like, I think I'm supposed to. And so he connected me with Tasha Smith, who was my incredible acting coach, who was just an amazing actress, an amazing coach, an amazing director. You know, she just, and she really cared about my performance and my success and in this role and, and she poured into me and really helped me to learn how to use my emotions in a way that was not just great for the role, but has taught me a lot even in life. So um, that was, she was a huge part of that. Tom Jones was my dialect coach. They were, they really, they would just not quit on me at all. So it was amazing. What was the road to getting the dialect right and, and the, the really 
particular aspects of her character, right? As you or get deeper and deeper into it with them. Yeah, um, a lot of self-maiming. <laughs> <laughs> as, as it goes, as it goes. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. But it, so it was the acting part of it with Tashi. And I mean, she, I don't know how this woman was able to do it, but, and and I am, I mean, I'm, you know, I always joke about, I'm like, I'm a Capricorn. So we are researchers. We need every detail. We need every, we need, every, we are hard workers. You know what I mean? And they yeah. all were hard workers as well. So I think just the combination again of, of, of her commitment and her hard work and my hard work and his as well. I mean, learning how to sort of bring up emotions and actually one of the big things was even dealing with familial trauma, right? We all have a bit of it, but we all, in order to be healthy and to move on, we compartmentalize and we figure out ways to not deal with them anymore or to just to move on, to face it. I, for me, face it and I pray about it and I move on from it. So with this, it was sort of like, oh, no, 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 hold on to it and live in it for months at a time, you know what I mean? Or for, you know, three years at a time. So, um, and, and how to even use my fear and my hesitation. It was beyond hesitation. I didn't want to do it. To use my fear about this role to inform the character because, you know, some, one of the things she would tell me, she's like, what do you think Billy feels? Every time she gets on that stage, every time she, you know, and so she needed people to love her. It was like I, to know that I'm worthy. And, and I, I totally understand that feeling. And so we, we used a lot of that with the, the voice. It was, um, researching every book every interview every song i knew a lot of her music anyway because i was such a huge fan but every interview we could get our hands on anytime she was making a side or a song and she would break off and say she messed up and you know i, I got that one i'll pay for that one everything i mean we exhausted the internet and books and uh, about her uh and um and with the voice, the way I was really able to enter through her was obviously the singing voice as well, too, but also her laugh. She had such a, like, identifiable laugh. It was like a pinging, you know, sort of come back and hit against something. And so we used that and, and her breath. And, um, and physically, I just, I was rough on my voice. I started, I'm not a cigarette smoker, but I started smoking cigarettes for the last, mm. I guess, year or two. Smoking cigarettes, I don't drink alcohol, but I drink alcohol. Um, you know, not doing warm things for my voice, no tea, just cold water, gin. <laughs> I don't drink beer, <laughs> so being loud all the time. I mean, anything I would do to take care of my voice as a singer, I did the opposite because I wow. think the gravel and the grit in her voice is so much a part of her person and her character. So it would be, I think we would be remiss not to not to go after that. And I, and, and we, we did, and I'm really happy with how it came out. The movie is so much about really the, the, the power of her songs in, in terms of what they say, but also what they say about her, um, particularly her character and, and her strength. Um, I'm not sure what you perform first or film first, but I'm wondering after, after years of, of this prep, what it was like for you to be in that, in, in her in her costume and performing her yeah. um, like finally reaching that moment can can you maybe walk me through that that first time yeah absolutely I, I think the first thing yeah that we sang was um, ain't nobody's business was her Carnegie Hall mm. performance so I think that was the first performance that we filmed and we did it like 800 million times <laughs> this was also a lesson in filmmaking for me you know because as a singer you're used to you get on stage and you perform and everybody's like yeah and you're like blah, blah, blah. it's like now let's do it again I'm like huh 
<laughs> now let's turn around and do it again, huh? I was like, oh, okay. So it was all just like a lesson for me, but it was terrifying. Honestly, my there would I got more comfortable as far as with my cast with Lee, just being able to trust these people that they really cared about this being successful. But I never got actually comfortable. I never, you know, I was I was terrified the entire time, and every day was the day I'd be awful and they'd realize it, and then I'd miss them. You know what I mean? So it was like. Um, so it was, I was terrified, but also it felt really good. It felt good. I enjoyed having her in there. I enjoyed our commingling of spirits. And I, you know, I always tell people at the beginning of this, I asked, I sort of, my acting coach says, check into the Billie Holiday dream, but I asked God for her. I put her in here, you know, everywhere. And, and, um, and it felt good. I think it felt really good to feel her, but it was also nerve wracking because, you know, um, I just, I don't have the experience. So I, I just, I didn't want to be terrible, you know, but um, yeah, I could feel the need for people. My need was obviously for people on set, you know, to first of all, to know her truth, to know her story, the grander audience, but also for people on set to be like, I have got to be good enough. I cannot be terrible. And, and so, um, yeah, I didn't know. It's like I said, I was terrified, but it also just, it felt great. It felt great to be her in a way that was really, really, really hard for me to let her go at the end of filming. Did getting into her look help you as well? I, I, it's, it's such a particularly iconic look, I feel like, that, that Billie Holiday glam almost. Absolutely. The flower. It's like as soon as the flower went on, that was sort of like the cake. It was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I was like... Soon as that went on, I'm working with Paolo um, Nieru on like costumes and design, you know, Prada doing the dresses. It was that part for me, because I already consider myself a bit of a like vintage kind of squirrel. You know, I just, I love period. I love, you know, music from that period. I love uh, fashion and, you know, cinema. And so I, it was, for me, it was like a very full circle moment, you know? And so it was weird because putting on the vintage clothes, I felt, kind of like myself and very much like her, you know? So it's, um, it felt like home a little bit, um, but like a crazier home, <laughs> you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And Paolo put so much detail, Paolo and Fisher put so much detail into every piece. I mean, he's on set stressing about one cufflink on an extra, you know what I mean? So he just was, was one of those people, one of those like people that I just love that care about every detail that works so hard and so, we had an amazing text thread going on just about different things. And I would talk about her African lady earrings. He's like, oh, I know I got them. And so it was perfect. Or these glasses that she loved, her fur and her... Because the thing is, her fashion was very much a part of her activism. You know, and I, I don't think people know that is that it was offensive, really, for the mainstream America at that time for her to be a Black woman wearing a fur coat, wearing diamond mm -hmm. earrings, wearing, you know... So, you know, it was a part of that that was just fun and just enjoyable and dropped me into her character. And then it was a part of that was almost like armor. That's her fight. You know what I mean? It's, yes, she should be free to wear what she wants to if she can afford it or, if, you know, they want to give it to her. So I, it was, yeah, it was hugely a part of it. One of the things I really love about this movie is how interesting it is in Billie Holiday as a person, as a, as a human being backstage, how she talks to people, how she sits. Mm -hmm. uh, it just, it felt so detailed. Um, and it just, I really appreciated that. And I'm wondering if you came across particular things in, in, in your research. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
Uh, yeah, that's, so that's what I love about her the most as well, too. You know, it's why I enjoy reading Lady Sings the Blues so much, her autobiography, because it's a right. look into her character or the way she thinks and how she'll pivot. Like one of my favorite things in the book is when she talks about for all my crummy times in the South, you know, you know, uh, oh, about all, all the terrible venues down in the South, da, da, da. She said, but the one best one was the Fox Theater in Detroit. And we're like, oh no, that's not the South lady. <laughs> like, you know, or, <laughs> or, or she'll go from talking about a crazy story to being like, you know, Lester just love my mother's cooking. Like, wait a minute, are we in the South being discriminated against or are we at home eating your mama's cooking with Lester? I love that because as an artist, I feel that, you know? So I think the thing that struck me so much, you know, first, First of all, was just, I think just how she was so, so magnetic, so magnetic. One of my favorite books is a book called With Billy, which we actually get a touch of Jimmy Fletcher in that book, which was amazing. And you get to, you know, uh, Stump Daddy is one of the characters in there that she just randomly met and they hop in a cab together. And he's a musician as well, too. But their experiences, her experiences with strangers, with just random people was what I loved about her and what struck me the most, Billy really had a way of allowing people to be who they were in that moment, in that season, and accepting them and loving them in that place. You know what I mean? And I think mm -hmm. as people, we have such high expectations or just unrealistic expectations for each other all the time, as opposed to being able to experience each other, you know what I mean? And, and allowing ourselves to be blessed by whoever that person is in this moment, in this season. So she did that. And I think that's what people loved about her. And that's what struck me so much about her. You know, she just, it was never, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. You shouldn't. It was just sort of cool. You're here. I'm here. Let's do our thing. You know what I mean? And that is, she was really, really special in that way. And I think that's part of why she was so beloved, you know. What was it like for you to perform Strange Fruit? Because it's so central to the movie. And to be honest, I can't remember the last time I've seen a movie where the the song was so important to so many aspects of it, you know, yeah. to your character, to the message of the film, yeah. to the conflict of the film. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's such a powerful statement every time you get on that stage and perform it. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it absolutely was, and it is, you know, right. It's a song that is essentially yeah. powerful to right now, to every era mm -hmm. in America until we actually, excavate and tell the truth about our history and the fabric you know it's it's unfortunately still relevant you know and will be until we we face that but um performing it was uh i mean it was it was traumatic and healing at the same time you know it was yeah. um i was joking i was just in a conversation with lee and sop <laughs> I was saying it might have been the moment I decided to retire from acting after my first role. <laughs> I was like, strange who retired me. It's like, uh, you know, it just, um, I said it was, I had to pull on a lot of, um, obviously social trauma, right? I'm a black woman living in America and that, that has its own set of traumas. And, um, but I think what grabbed me the most and what stuck out to me the most was that I had to pull in addition to how painful the lynching is and, and, and seeing that happen to my people constantly in society, I had to pull from personal pain and personal trauma as well in order to fully realize the emotion of this moment. And that in a way bothered me. You know, it didn't in the sense that you have to do what you have to do to get the performance, 
but it bothered me that that wasn't enough. A lynching is a horrific, horrific yeah. sight. It's a horrific idea, and it is a it is very much at the fabric of of, of American culture. There is a, there is an under dark underbelly of racial terror, you know, and that should have been enough. The fact that I had to pull on familial trauma made me go, yeah, I'm too. This is too normal for us. It's pro. It's, it bothered me how desensitized and how normalized it has been for my community to experience tragedy and loss, you know what I mean? And, and the hate crimes and terrorism orchestrated against us, no matter what we're doing, whether we're following the law, breaking the law, you know, it's very clear that none of that really matters and it still has to do with who we are as a people. So it bothered me and that sat in my spirit for quite some time that, you know, it should have been enough this tragedy, but we're very, very familiar with it, unfortunately. And facing that was able, the part where it helped me to heal from it and say, no, this does bother me and I need it to not, I need to be very sensitive to this again. You know what I mean? You mentioned um, struggling really to let Billy go. But before, before we end this, I, I did want to see for you what it was like to, to leave the character behind at first, you know, those last days of filming and, and what that was like. Uh well, honestly, for starters, is she's not fully gone. I don't, th- and maybe there's mm-hmm. parts of her that will always be with me. I don't know. Maybe she helps to color and inform who I believe God wants me to be in this season. But um, coming off of set was uh, it felt impossible to be honest with you. You know, it felt impossible because people would say, "Well, now you can get back to being you." You know. And I hated thinking about it because I didn't know who I, I, re- I had, upon thinking about it, I realized I didn't know who I was. And the other part was even with my castmates, they were so sweet and they were like, well, you know, you're so great. You're so cool. You know what I mean? We'll definitely stay in touch with it. But I'm like, but I felt weird being like, but I don't, this is not me. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I don't think that that's the person who's, who's going to be there or is going to show up. I, I don't know. I loved her. I really love, I love her. I loved having her in me. I loved being in her. I loved what God did through this film, I believe. And, and, um, and when I, you know what's funny? When I came back, everything just felt very, very normal. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Everything, yeah. everything here just felt very normal and very much the same, which is probably what I needed, I think, maybe, you know? But it just felt like there's just sort of, like I said, this paradigm shifting quake happening underneath my feet. And it felt like, everything and everyone was just, there's no urgency. Everything felt very, you know, that was just the immediate feeling when I got back, you know, now I've settled obviously into, <laughs> into normalcy better, better. But, um, I don't know. I think I, it's just so much energy and so much power from a person sort of surging through you for such a long period of time. You, you know, you, you're changed, you know what I mean? So, it was really difficult, definitely, to let her go, to let my cast go. You know, I really loved them. I really, I do love them, you know, and, and Lee. And so it's just, I don't know, it was a moment. I'm one of those people, though. I'm such a, I'm like typical Capricorn. I'm just like, no, I don't want to end. You know what I mean? It's just like probably just me being like hella dramatic or some shit like that. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. It's a big role, though. And it's, 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 uh, I, I can imagine it is hard to shake. Yeah, it definitely, yeah. definitely has been. Cigarettes had to go, though, for sure. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, the film is The United States vs. Billy Holiday, streaming on Hulu. Andrew Day, thank you so much for joining us here today.
experts make mistakes, even the awardists. So we're tracking our own progress on this chaotic awards journey by admitting what we're wrong about in our predictions and gloating about what we're right about. This week, we're putting David and Joey back on the spot with last golden, last night's Golden Globe Awards. Guys, what were you right about and what were you wrong about? Joey? I mean, I'm right about everything 100% of the time. <laughs> me too, me too. Um, <laughs> That's why we do this segment. Uh, I actually don't know outside of the expected contenders if I was necessarily like right about anything um, that nobody else was predicting. I don't know how you feel about that, David. Um, I noticed most people predicting the trial of the Chicago 7 uh, for Best Picture. and to me, it always made sense that the Globes would go for Nomadland because, yeah. first of all, they gave it a screenplay nomination. And <laughs> just like it's not the kind of movie where the Globes would feel obligated to give it a screenplay nomination if they weren't behind it, um, especially because mm-hmm. they combine original and adapted. Um, so that was a big tell for me. And, and also, this is the group they gave it to, the social network, they gave it to Boyhood. Um, yeah. They like to anoint that early, cool frontrunner. Uh, even if they peter out, which I don't think Nomadland will, um, those movies, uh, of course, did. Uh, so that that I felt confident about, and I'm, I'm glad it, uh, you know, came through. In terms of what I was wrong about, I mean, I think everybody was wrong about Carrie Mulligan, but um, I was. I also felt like Promising Young Woman would break through in screenplay. Uh, Emerald Fennell was uh, a writer director. They clearly. Uh, were pretty passionate about giving her both writing and directing nominations. Uh, and I felt like she would, she would pull it off there. Um, that is where the trial of the Chicago seven won. Um, so that was a little bummed to see that. And I, I was, I was wrong uh, in that it did not win there. Mm-hmm. I was, I mean, I would think I was wrong on an even bigger thing because you were sort of pushing me to predict Daniel. I didn't want to predict Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was, I was just convinced that he didn't have enough support yet, but I was very wrong on that. So, um, yeah, you were you were very very right on pushing us to predict Daniel. Thanks, right, who, did, who did you who did you want, Joey? Who did you who did you think it was going to be? I mean, I think if we're talking about who I wanted, I definitely out of this five would have wanted Daniel. Um, I mean, that's I think personal preference is is obviously way different than who you're predicting. But I was predicting I was predicting Sasha, wasn't I? Mm-hmm. It because, was just because of the goodwill he had. to Leslie at the end. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I did flip to Leslie um, because I felt like One Night in Miami was going to win something because just because the HFPA are such star, f- oh, well, I almost said the word star lovers. <laughs> so um, star uh, I figured they would want to give Regina's film something. Uh, I actually was almost getting ready to predict her for best director, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. I thought maybe they'll give it to Leslie and supporting. But yeah. No, I, I was I was wrong. I think sometimes that's the benefits of a of a small voting body, yeah. um, where maybe you know Daniel that movie has been slow to pick up steam because it debuted so late. But when you only have ninety or so voters, you can if the performance is there and they're ready to get behind it. You 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 have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a good example of that for sure. Penguin Bloom still has a chance. <laughs> retroactively give it best picture with the globes we just have to write all 87 members and on that note (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Leave it on that. Well, that's all from us today. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Awardist. And thanks to Joey, as always, for his analysis, expertise, and Penguin Bloom love. Mm-hmm. Um, please subscribe and listen along every week wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us. Tell us what you think. Share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com slash awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race. And follow me on Twitter at ClarissaNYC1, David at DavidCanfield97, and Joey at Joey Nolpe. Amanda Seyfried joins us next week to discuss her role in Mank, and we'll come armed with our final predictions for this year's Oscar nominations. Thanks for listening. This has been The Awardist.